But let's go over to Luke chapter 5 and verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. And he told them this parable, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new garment or from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For he says, Ah, the old is better. As an insertion of my own. But that's what he's saying. Uh, okay? Because he's talking about whiners saying that. Uh, there's three different interactions we're going to look at here in, in Luke 5 and 6. And each one of them kind of has a theme. And you can see where Luke uh, is taking some of these events and putting them together so we understand what's going on and some of the problems that Jesus was facing and getting people to understand the gospel. And so you, you can see why they happen. But they also did happen back to back. And that happens too. It's kind of funny how life works. Sometimes the Lord is just trying to teach you the same lesson in three different zip codes, right? And so you go from circumstance to circumstance to circumstance, and finally you go, okay, I get it, God. I see what you're saying. That's kind of what's going on here. So we're going to look at these three problems. The first one is this one. They say, they say, that's not how we do that. The Pharisees, they fast and they pray. And the, the disciples of John the Baptist, they fast and they pray. And your disciples... They're eating Big Macs and singing. What are you doing? And they, they're offended by it. They should have come to our Thursday study. Unoffendable, right? They're offend- Actually, this, is, this really is right along those lines all, through all three of these stories. They look at it and they go, that's not the way we do things. That's, it's supposed to be like this. I expected that your disciples being holy men would be holy the same way that I'm holy because obviously if that's the way I'm holy, then that's holy. And if you're not holy the way I'm holy, then that's unholy, Right? Does that make sense? So if... I don't want to think, I have to think of an example. That part of my brain's not working this morning. We, we do this all the time, though. We have expectations of how things ought to go, right? And so let's say you're out of town. You're visiting a church. And you go into this church. When, uh, when I was uh, in northeast Texas in Bonham, friends of mine had traveled up to the northeast and they found a church of Christ to go visit on Sunday while they were traveling. And they went in there. And when they got in there... Their, their music was different than the music at home. The songs were different than the songs at home. And the order was different than the order at home. And this brother came back home and he was talking to everybody who would stop in the foyer about how, you know, when you went out of town 20 years ago, you knew what to expect. You went into a church and they did church the way we do church. And their songs were our songs and their order was our order. I got in there and I didn't know half the songs and they had the Lord's Supper upside down and backwards and inside out and they had, they had, they had all kinds of stuff. None of it was wrong. None of it was even out there. None of it could even be a small L liberal. It was just different, right? They'd just taken like the way we do things and written them on a slip, put them in a hat, shaken them up and poured them out. I don't know. Just different. It's kind of like when you go from the NIV Bible, some of you have had this experience, the NIV Bible to a new translation where they use all the same words but to avoid copyright law, they just jumble them. That drives me nuts when you're sitting there going, I see what you did. You didn't make a new translation. You reordered another translation. And this is kind of the way it is. And this upset this brother. He couldn't take it. 
He's like, I don't know why we can't just have church everywhere the same way. Well, I do. Because that means we'd all have to have a deacon out in the foyer going, I don't know why we can't. And nobody wants to come to church on that. So this is, this is the deal. This is what these guys were dealing with. And so they look at it and they go, it's just not what I expect. It's not the way that those other guys do that. The Pharisees, and it's kind of funny because we don't know who in this case, we don't know who the they are, but that's kind of the thing, right? Often, whenever people want to be police in the church, who do they quote? They. Well, you know they say. How many times have you heard that? Well, they always said when I was growing up. And I'll tell you something. There's some folks in religious land where they say, man, that actually trumps King James Jesus. It's they say. And that's the way it ought to be. And they say that that's not the way that's supposed to go. And they say any preacher who sits on a stool is bound for hell. And they say, they might, I don't know. Uh, who knows? But, you know, they say, Jesus sat on a rock. I, this is lighter. And you just, we worry about things, about all that they say. And we worry about comparisons to, well, but now these guys do it this way. And we don't look at, okay, but was that right, wrong, appropriate, inappropriate, moral, immoral, ethical, unethical, or just different? And this is Jesus' answer. So you got the problem. The problem is it's just not the way it ought to be done, brother. You got the police, which is just people who noticed that it was out of, out of whack. That's just not the way we do things. It's like going to a really conservative church and being the visitor who claps. Now, you all know what I'm talking about. Don't you pretend. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I've been in all those churches. I know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like being that guy. And what do you do? Well, Jesus decides to teach him a principle. There's a couple of things that are going on. One is this first principle, and this is what he t tells them the parable about. He says, your old ways can't handle the new kingdom that I'm bringing. That's the bottom line. And that's, the, that's, that's what he's saying with new wineskins and old wineskins and new wine and old wine. He's just saying, you're still trying to judge the kingdom of God that's coming by a world that's fading away and a covenant that's about to be replaced and traditions that won't have a place in the new coming kingdom. Not that Now, fasting and praying are not traditions, and they do have a place in the coming kingdom, but not the way they're talking about it, and we'll get to that in some of these other arguments they have. But this is what he's saying. You're looking at this the wrong way. You're looking at it as the way I did it before is automatically right, and that's not always the case because I'm changing things. This is Jesus talking. We're changing things. And so he's turning their world upside down, and he tells them, listen, you're going to have to get used to some things changing. And if you constantly try to cram all the old into the new coming kingdom, all you're going to do is break the whole system. And so you need to be ready and adaptable for what's coming. It's really, I think it's, I think it's that simple what he's trying to get across. And one reason I think it is that simple is because that's enough for us to chew on for a long time if we're honest. Because we still break 2,000 years later over some of the new things that he was bringing that still don't go with our old ways 2,000 years later. And he's still actually trying to pour some new wine into new wineskins. And we're still kind of resistant because we also have our habits just like they did. We have our traditions just like they did. And we have our standard of the way we always did it being higher sometimes than Scripture itself, just like they did. And so there's that problem. There's also something else going on here. They're misunderstanding the situation. The first thing that he said before he got in the parable was about the bridegroom. He says, can you make the guests of the bridegroom? This is verse 34. The guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He says, you also need to be better judges of what's appropriate in the time. 
Yeah, the Pharisees fast and pray. And in a way, he's saying, as well they should, maybe for some reasons they don't even understand yet, maybe in repentance, maybe for not being willing to change as Jesus is calling them to change. They may need to fast and pray. And John the Baptist's disciples, they're going through some hard things and are about to go through some worse. And they ought to be fasting and praying. He said, but my disciples are in the same context as those guys. I'm showing them the coming kingdom of God. They're here with the Messiah, and this is not a time of mourning. This is a time of excitement. It's a time of taking on new things. It's a time of learning. It's a time of growing. It's a time of challenge. And they are excited. And you don't go and fast and pray and mourn when you're excited, do you? Let me tell you this. If you put on sackcloth and ashes and fast and pray the night before your wedding, you need to see a counselor, not a preacher. Because that wedding don't need to happen, okay? That's what your preacher is going to tell you. If, if this makes you mourn, wrong circumstance, okay? Let's back this train up a little bit and talk about some things. And that's what Jesus is telling them. They're not, they're not crying. They're excited. They're jumping up and down because of the cool things they're finding out that God is doing in the world. And as they see the kingdom break out, fasting and praying is not what's on their heart and mind. And he said, and that's appropriate and it's right. So he also is telling this principle. You ought to be better judges of the circumstances. Some people only know how to mourn, fast, and pray. That's all they know how to do. Uh, the preacher Abe Lincoln used to say they were dipped in vinegar and baptized in pickle juice. They just sour all the way through. They don't know how to do anything but gripe and complain, and they're going to want you to fast and pray. I've told you before, I had a friend, and she's not one of those people that I'm talking about, but her favorite verse would make you think so. Her favorite verse in the Bible was, turn your, your dancing into mourning. Isn't that terrible? And all your joy into gloom. And that's, it's, it's Scripture, okay? It is Scripture. And there is a time and there is a place. And when Paul said it, there was a time and there was a place. But Jesus is saying, now's not the time and now's not the place. And so don't judge my disciples by the wrong standard. That's kind of what he's telling them. And you need to be looking at yourself and getting ready for some of these new things that are coming because God's about to do some things among you that are greater than you understand. And you're going to have to be flexible. Do you think that's a message that probably we ought to get to? I think we ought to learn. I, I feel like when I was in Adventures and Missions, one of the number one rules uh, was be flexible. Just be flexible. And I feel like that's one of the greatest things that I got out of all that training is to, to not be so rigid that when God does something, you break. Instead, be flexible enough that when God pours in new wine and things start to change and ferment and expand, you can grow with it. That's what Jesus is getting at. But if you find yourself with every little thing just being almost the last straw, you may be trying to put Jesus' new wine into old wineskin, and that's going to burst. Okay? You need to let Him make you new. And, and he, he does that in a lot of ways. He does it by His Spirit. He does it with a good prayer life. He does it by time in the Word. All that stretches us, doesn't it? It all helps us to grow and pushes our thoughts and pushes our mind and our spirit. We need all those things. Um, and in the right time and place, even fasting and praying would do some of those things. He was just trying to get them to understand. You need to look at this through a different lens and understand it better. So he goes on from that. You know how it goes. There, there are several periods in Jesus' ministry where it seems like boom, 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 boom. He gets confronted like he can't do anything right. Anybody have a week like that? 
You, you did? You've had weeks like that? I've had weeks like that. This wasn't one of them, thank the Lord, but had them. Uh, we've, we have weeks like that, and Jesus had weeks like that. So let's look down here at verse... Uh, woo, I lost my spot big time. Verse 1, how about that one? One Sabbath. Don't you know in the Gospels, every time it says one Sabbath, there's going to be trouble? Have you ever noticed that? One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields and His disciples began to pick up some beads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? We're going to stop right there. Here's the thing. It actually wasn't. Now, we might read that and take for granted that it was unlawful on on the Sabbath for them to pick this grain and to eat it. It actually was not against the law of Moses. That's the key against the law of Moses. It was not against the law of God for them to do that. The Sabbath was set aside, not in the law of Moses, but all the way back at the end of the week of creation as a time of rest. All of us need it. We know built in to our DNA, we are hardwired that we need a day of rest. That ought to get an amen from anybody who works at least, right? We all need at least a day of rest. And I don't think at the end of creation, God needed a day of rest. Okay? He didn't even need days, did He? I believe He could have spoken it all in one word. He could have just said, be, and it would just all be. I do believe that. I believe that's how powerful our God is. I think He sometimes chooses to do things in a way that teaches us things. And I believe that He taught us on that seventh day that He didn't need a nap, okay? But there would be times when we most certainly do. And so he set up from the very beginning of creation. He didn't just set it up for the Jews. That's a common misconception. If it had started with the law of Moses, it would have been for the Jews, right? But it started at the day of creation with all people, all two of them, right? And everybody who ever descended from them, which with very few exceptions is almost everybody in this room, right? I'm assuming, I'm assuming that I'm going to have to tell a story. I'm just going to have to do it. Okay, so Benny Dodd comes by my office nearly every day, okay? And, and Benny's a neat guy, okay? Lots of stories, very intelligent guy. Benny does like to talk, and that's fine. That's all good. Benny also has some interesting things going on. I don't think he would mind me sharing them because he shared them all over town. But, right? But, because he comes to some of your offices too. I know about this. So, here's the deal. Benny has alien blood. Did you know that? Some of you probably knew that. Benny has alien blood. There's a weird, rare type of blood that they say leans itself toward reptile, some reptilian markers. And Benny has reptilian blood. And you remember those things on, on what was it called? A lost something. Oh, the land of the lost in the 1970s. The lizard things, they went, ah, all the time. I think that's Benny's ancestors. And I really wish he were here. I will tell him, I will call him when I'm done. I will tell him I said it. Okay. But, but, he, we've joked about this, so it's all okay. The, but, but really and truly, so he has that. So there could be some of you have alien blood like Benny. I have no idea. But the rest of us, it's in our DNA. We need a, we need a day, right? We, we try. Part of it's cultural. Our culture for a long time really respected that. Had a deep appreciation of the need for people to rest, to recuperate, to spend time with their families and time with their God. Now, that actually gets you on the blacklist of weird businesses like Chick-fil-A, right? Just got kicked out of the, out of the San Antonio airport because they're just too, too weird and Christian, right? Well, here's the deal. 
God actually intended that for all of us. So much so that we're wired that way, and when we don't pay attention to it, we break after a while, don't we? I went one time, and you've probably a lot of you have done this, so this is not, oh, poor James. But I can remember one time when we just had way too much. I'd said yes to way too many things. This is when we were up in New York, was uh, doing everybody in the world's job, plus my own. And then I hit a wall. And I realized when I hit this, I just got up one morning. I said, Tanya, I can't do it. Today is, I'm done. I am done. I have got to stop for a day. And I realized I'd gone three and a half months without a single day. Well, that's dumb, isn't it? We're not wired to do that. I became, ever since then, far more protective of, of that part of life because I learned the hard way that's not just black and red words on paper. We need those times. Okay, so that's, that's why we need a Sabbath rest. It's why we need to stop. It's why money isn't everything and even overtime may not always justify the burning out of your life and your family because that can happen and we know that and God was looking out for you when he said and did these things. So one of the requirements or regulations of what was in the law of Moses regarding the Sabbath was that you were not to stop people who needed to travel, and you couldn't travel, according to the Pharisees, you couldn't travel too far. If you traveled too far, that became work. And they had regulations on how far that was. They got so silly about it, though. They were loophole people. They would put their possessions ever so many miles so that they could still travel and be at home. They would stop at their little tent with their stuff in it and say, oh, I didn't travel more than 20 miles. I only went 10 miles twice. I was home in the middle. Crazy stuff, you know, lawyer ball. They did stuff like that. But what the law of Moses did say was if people did have to and they were wandering through the grain fields, that you did not stop them from eating. They were allowed to do exactly what the disciples were doing because God cared more about them having sustenance on the Sabbath than on somebody going out and chasing them down and shooing them out of the field. Now, he didn't want them out there with a combine. He didn't want them out there with a plow. It was only, you couldn't go even out with a sickle, only what you needed. Just go get what you need. And that was the idea. It's kind of like when they had the manna. Trust me, I'll take care of you. Just get what you need. And they were not to disrupt somebody who was doing that. In the bigger picture, they were supposed to be able to do that every day too. And when you harvested a crop, you were supposed to leave the corners of your field. And you were not supposed to pick so well and harvest so well, there was nothing left for the poor and the migrant. And Ruth. Remember the story of Ruth and Boaz? Ruth meets Boaz because she's one of those people in poverty eating in his field and gathering in his field. It was mercy. It was grace. It was a way of God taking care of people who didn't have. And even on the Sabbath, he said, listen, I know we're not supposed to work, but people still got to eat. We get kind of strict about things though, right? And so did they. They said, well, then how do we regulate what would be work? And they got it down to anything that requires more than one hand. If it requires more than one hand, that's work. And then they decided that even what these disciples were doing, crushing that up, well, that seems, that seems like work. You're, you're harvesting and you're grinding and, you're, and that just seems like work. That would almost make eating sunflower seeds work, wouldn't it? You know, you'd have to eat corn nuts on the Sabbath instead, and then they're going to kick you out of the house. But those things stink. You don't let anybody in your car what got corn nuts. Am I right? But that's, I am right. And so I love them, but you don't love them with people. 
That's the way that works. You do that by yourself. And, it, it, and let me tell you this. Anybody who has corn nuts and a warm Pepsi, out the car now. <laughs> out. We had an aimer who would ride in our back seat and drink a warm two liter of Pepsi while eating corn nuts. And that boy belched more than anybody I ever knew. And we had to drive with the windows down in the middle of winter to breathe. It ain't right. You can't do that on the Sabbath or a Monday or a Tuesday. It ain't right. So, anyway, that's the problem. They worked on the Sabbath, right? I got, I got one more quick story. I'm gonna, I did look at that clock, but I'll look at this one next. I'm all right. Okay, so I'm going to tell you this one. Friends of mine, some of you have heard this in class, I think. Friends of mine that I was studying with in English through the Bible campaign in Russia. Uh, it was a mother and a son, uh, both of them adults. And uh, they had lived in the Soviet Union in the 1980s. They were Jews, practicing Jews. But they wanted to know about Jesus, so they'd come to these campaigns because they were fascinated with Jesus, wanted to know more about Him. We were looking at a similar passage. I don't think it was this one, but it was similar stuff, dealing with the Pharisees. And she said, well, let me tell you, there are still plenty of Pharisees in Israel today. I said, really? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, we moved there to get away from the persecution in the Soviet Union back in the 80s. And they moved to Israel. And maybe they just moved to the wrong neighborhood, but they, they moved into a neighborhood, pretty orthodox, and they uh, went to visit some friends on the Sabbath. Well, that's okay. That's all right to do. That's not a problem. That's actually kind of part of what you do on the Sabbath. You go to the synagogue. You go, you visit some friends. You have, have a, a relaxed day. So they go to some friends. When they get to their friend's house, they did what they would have done if they were still back in the Soviet Union. They rang the doorbell. I don't know what Hebrew is for, oh, no, you didn't, but that's what they got. They, the, the lady comes to the door. And, and the door was open because closing the door would have been work. But she comes to the door. I'm not kidding. And so she comes to, comes to the door. What are you doing? And she said, well, I rang the doorbell. You can't ring the doorbell. It's the Sabbath. She said, what do you mean? She said, wouldn't knocking be more work than the doorbell? You're supposed to knock. That's one hand. Hmm? The doorbell requires somebody to work at the power station. Now you've blown the whole Sabbath. Well, of course, the guy was at the, sab at the power station anyway, wasn't he? He was already, he's probably a Gentile. Anyway, probably. The, uh, the argument goes on and on, she said. And finally, it ended with them saying, you are dead to me, never come here again. Now, here's what sparked that. When she said, pushing the doorbell was work, my Soviet friend said, you still flush the toilet, don't you? That did not go over well. You ever, you ever have a really good comeback that is great in your head, but as soon as it's out, you realize, that might not have been the best thing to say. You know this by the, you're dead to me, response, right? And that's what she got. Literally, never talked to them again. Shunned them. Spread the word to the friends in the neighborhood. Shunned them. These are non-Sabbath respecters. We do not have anything to deal with them. I don't know how bad it had to be. But I think if you move back to the Soviet Union in the 80s, it's bad. And that's what they did. I think that's got to be pretty bad. That's when things are just too rigid and tight and the eggshells are everywhere and life is miserable, right? When we are that quick to judge every little thing, it is awful. But that's what happened. And they're out there and they're, all they're doing is plucking a little grain and having some food so that they have the energy they need to get through the day. That's literally it. But here are the police over here again, right? And this time, they got the big guns. The Pharisees caught them out there in the field. 
Let's continue reading. Let's see here. Verse 3. Well, let me go back to 2. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on a Sabbath? Again, not unlawful, just against the Pharisees' extra rules. And that's something that we still have trouble differentiating between sometimes. It isn't against God's rules just because it's against our preferences and traditions, right? You need to be able to tell the difference. Rick actually put it this way in a lesson we were watching the other day. You need to know the difference between the rocks and the sand. The rocks are what Jesus said. Sand, that's, that's all our little petty stuff, right? You need to know the difference. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, now here's a couple of things. First, he starts with a story about David. Why does he choose David? He's talking to Pharisees, right? Who are they going to respect? David. They want a new David to come and take back over and kick the Romans out, right? So he goes to one of their heroes and says, you remember your good hero David? David and his soldiers were starving to death one day. They had been to hell and back. And all that was there, all that was available, was the, the bread that was set aside for the priests. And not only was it against tradition to eat, it was actually against the law to eat. And he says, and do you know what David did? Do you know what the priests allowed? Do you know what God didn't zap them for? Eating that bread. Now, I wish I had known this verse when my grandmother was cleaning out all those leftover communion cups. Because I was never allowed to drink out of those cups when I was a kid when she was the one that cleaned up on Sunday morning. Because that was holy grape juice. It could go down the sink, but it couldn't go down my gullet. That's what I understood. That's what I learned. But that's what he tells them. Listen, sometimes there's more than one law at play. And the law of love and the law of compassion trumps the laws of ceremonies and the laws of traditions and these things. Now, that doesn't mean you just trample all over them. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say it didn't matter. He reinforced that it actually was unlawful what David did. He said it kind of goes back to that other one. But you need to understand the circumstance, not just the law. You need to look at where people are and ask What's the greatest thing God wants me to know about this situation? And in David's case, it was a love of taking care of his fellow soldiers. And in his disciples' case, Jesus says, these guys are starving. Tell me that's more important than your one-handed rule in a field. And then he tells them what must have gone over almost as well as my friend's comment about flushing the toilet. He then says, the Son of Man, and they know that he's talking about himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. How do you think that goes over to a Pharisee when he says, and on top of that, the Sabbath, that's my deal, not yours. I'm the one who made it, and I'm the Lord of it, and I'll determine whether or not they violate it. I'm the judge. But we need to hear that sometimes, right? We do from time to time. We need to be reminded. Jesus is the judge. Frankly, I think most of us are at the point where we say, when we find out Jesus is the judge and not us, we say, thank you, Lord, right? Because, man, I don't want to have to sort all this out. Let Jesus... Verse 6, on another... Oh, I didn't tell you that last part. There, I did too. Let's look at this last one. On another Sabbath, I told you, whenever it starts with a Sabbath, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So they come primed, right? 
That's pretty easy to figure out who the, who the police are on that one. They're sitting there just watching. We're going to see. Is he going to heal? Is he going to do something? It almost makes you wonder if they didn't invite the shriveled-handed dude just as a setup, doesn't it? I don't know. But you'd kind of be suspicious. And they're watching him and they're saying, you think he's going to do anything about that? And the guy gets up and Jesus calls. Watch what happens. Because what do you think Jesus is going to do? Pharisees and the teachers looking for a reason, verse 8, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. That's always a problem, too, they never quite caught on to. He kept knowing what they were thinking. It kept getting them in trouble, and yet they still fought it. Any of us have that problem? Yeah. That's what happened. Get up, he says to the man. Stand in front of everyone. And he got up and he stood there. That's a challenge. That's like the glove off and thrown on the floor. These guys want to know if I'm going to heal anybody. Why don't you stand up and come over here? Let's show them whether I will or not. So he got up and he stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? That's like Pharisee, would you rather? What are we going to do now? He doesn't ask a question. Jesus is always asking questions, isn't he? They're tough questions. Because I think they knew as soon as he asked, oh, there's not a good answer to this one that I'm going to agree with. (laughs) You have those times? Yeah. He looked around at them all and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretches out his shriveled hand. This is by a French artist uh, about a hundred or so years ago named Tissot. I like this, this painting. He stretches out his hand and it was completely restored. Completely restored. Now here's the thing. If we had somebody that was dealing with something like that and they stretched out their hand and it was healed in our service this morning, what would be your response? You ever wonder what your response would be? Their, look at their response. Their response is they were furious. Verse 11. They were furious and began to st- discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. They're mad. They're angry. And if that discussion went like some of their later discussions went, jail and death were included in the conversation. I'm going to say this. When we get to a point, and it can happen to anybody, when we get to a point to where we are offended by the work of God, to where when a good thing happens, our first instinct is to criticize how the good thing happened or when the good thing happened. We're not on the right right side of that synagogue that day, are we? These guys could not see God at work. You ever wondered what it would be like for yourself if you were there when Jesus did all these things? I do. I wonder. And, And honestly, several years ago, I was I think I was going through the book of Mark, maybe. He also deals with a lot of these big interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees and their fights. And I remember thinking that I would love to think I would never react the way that they did. But there's a part of me that also wonders if we wouldn't. You know, we're often so primed to the way things ought to be, to the way it ought to be done or has always been done, or what we currently understand that we don't see what God is up to and don't welcome it when it comes. It's an easy trap to fall into. And we don't take opportunities to do God's work because maybe we're afraid, well, I don't know that that's, I don't know if we're supposed to be doing that, or I don't, I don't know if that's the best way to handle that, or da 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 da. Right? We just don't know. Yet Jesus has told us some good principles here. One, He's Lord, right? He's going to sort it out. If He's going to sort it out, He's also given us His standard of how He's going to sort it out. He said, love and mercy win. Okay? Mercy triumphs over sacrifice. So we need to remember that. He's told us 
what his standard's going to be. And he doesn't throw the rules out the window, but he does say, you need to understand your biggest rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Later raised up to love your neighbor as he has loved you. You follow those and you'll get it. And that's what he was doing every Sabbath, wasn't it? Every Sabbath, that's exactly what he was doing. And sometimes it didn't require... There was no breaking of the actual rules as they went through the field. They were actually fine. But he let them know even if it had been, mercy would have been more important than what that bread's rules were. And you need to remember that. So he tells them here, which is... Which is lawful on the Sabbath or any day, any day at all, to do good or to destroy? Which is more like Jesus, to do good or to destroy? You go out and you love. Mercy just triumphs over judgment. Lives get changed and kingdoms get built. The kingdom gets built. And it's all upside down from the way our world works. Let me ask you something. Look at our world. How's that system working out for you? Is there anywhere in the world right now that would look at their situation and say, we think we got it going pretty good, it's all right? No, there's really not. You know, the grass is always greener until you get over there and find out it's a bunch of weeds. There's only one kingdom that sets everything right. And you can't cram it into old wineskins. You've got to be willing to grow and change and stretch. And when you love, when you show mercy, when you look for the opportunities to do good instead of to destroy, you win and they win and the kingdom wins. And God is glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You because you have, you have shown us a way of life that is better than our own, that is more hopeful and joy-filled than our own. Father, we pray that You would help us to be humble enough to be molded and changed by the way that, that You have shown us is better. Father, we pray that You would help us to, to be able to find where You've actually even already put those seeds of joy and happiness and love and mercy in our lives where You've already given us great opportunities to help others to see You, where You've already blessed us in ways that are just beyond what we deserve. Father, we pray that as we find that joy and as we find that hope, that it will just overflow from our lives and the lives of everyone around us. We pray that You give us boldness to stand up for people as Jesus did and to remind their critics that while none of us are perfect, people are growing and people are trying to serve You and that you ultimately are the one who makes the call and that you are gracious and kind and forgiving. And Father, we pray that that's the message we can give to our community. In your son Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. We always offer an opportunity for prayer because we know we need it, right? And uh, this morning, I'm going to encourage you, if you need prayer, uh, Ralph is right back there at the back, and he would be glad. I'm volunteering him right here, but that's because Ralph is always ready. Uh, to pray with you and, and to encourage you. Again, I would encourage you too to keep uh, Aretha Carr's family and, and Clarence Dorman's family in your prayers. Uh, but let's, uh, let's give our lives to God and give our, our days to God as we stand and as we sing.